Hello, hello. Welcome into the second episode of Blueprint to Canton. I'm Nelly at a Nellytix on Twitter, also in, in the Discord. Um, joining me today is Chris Moxley at Chris Moxley19. Uh, I, I know him as Mox. I'm sure most of you know him at Mox. As Mox, how are you doing? I'm good. Most people do know me as Mox. That's true, uh, for sure. But I'm excited to to be on this, you know, when we, you, this is an idea that I think we had talked about months ago, even just like, yeah, how, how sweet would a, uh, like a strategy pod for C2C would be. I, I think, you know, so I'm excited to be here and I'm excited that we finally got this off the ground, especially for, uh, you know, our NIL folks. It's, it's pretty valuable content. Nobody, nobody else is doing it, which is always fun. Yeah. You know, we've kind of, I feel like we've talked strategy in the past and, and I think you and I are aligned in a lot of ways because like, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not out there like grinding a ton of huddle film and making decisions yeah. and evaluations based on that. You're, you're using a lot of like macro level concepts and theories to, to make your decisions so that it's more like across a broad span rather than getting into the nitty gritty of each and every situation. Yeah, it it's so hard to evaluate players just by watching film. Um, you know, when we talk about players, like there's 133 FBS teams, there's 130, I believe, FCS teams. So, so like to cover all of that and feel confident is is pretty difficult. So, like sticking to certain theories or like I I'm far more of a numbers guy. Um, I do that in my job. I do that in my life. I do that here. So trying to keep just consistency that way. I mean, I just can't, I, it takes too much time. It's just time consuming for me. And so I, I found it, you know, I, I watch a lot of football, but I don't necessarily evaluate the way that some of our, our staff does, which they do a really good job. So don't get me wrong, but it's just not my strong suit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, full credit to to that whole group of people, and I mean, like the recruiting services that do it too. I mean, like it's an incredibly value resource across the board for 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 utilizing on our end when we don't really have the not time to do it. But the, I don't know. For me, I don't have the desire to do it either. But it is incredibly value. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly valuable. Um, but no, I mean, I guess that is kind of. That's one of the things with, with campus to Canton is because you're playing on the NFL side, because you're playing on the college side, you have to have recruiting knowledge. You have to have college fantasy football knowledge. You have to have Debbie knowledge. You have to have NFL fantasy knowledge. Like there's so many different areas here that it's like, you really have to think about like time resources in terms of like, what is going to be most valuable to help you win? Uh, like where, where can, where can I spend my time to get the edge and where can in other areas I can kind of take shortcuts and, and not, not sacrifice too much because uh, I don't know about you, but I'm in leagues. Like I'm in like probably 10 C2C leagues. And right. So like, I can't be, I can't be like in the nitty gritty of every single player in every single league to make, make, decisions at such a micro level has to be macro level strategy. So that's why I guess I, I've, I've pitched it in the first couple episodes as well, but that's why I think this is such an important kind of um, umbrella as a whole in, in terms of just coming up with rules, general guidelines um, for strategies. So I guess 
it, to talk specific strategies, one thing that I know that you have done work on in the past is kind of macro level freshman drafting strategies in terms of uh, what archetypes of players to take when and and where and and so I guess I, ha- I have two questions coming from that. Uh, one, like what are you looking for in freshmen when you're drafting them? Uh, and then let, let's talk about that. And then after that, I want to talk about the actual application of you're in a supplemental. Like, w- how many freshmen are you drafting in a supplemental to kind of to kind of um, fulfill fulfill this freshman strategy that you've kind of come up with? Yeah. So I'll start with the first one. Um, we're in a league called the Program together. And when that draft kicked off last year, I think I took 14 straight freshmen after Bryce Young first overall or something close to it, like 13 of my first 15 picks for freshmen. So I'm very aggressive. Um, and that boils down to upside, essentially. I think that there's a level of risk with freshmen that I think people overstate. And that is, well, we haven't seen them play on a college field which is true, but there are also a lot of data points. There are thousands of data points before a player even enrolls in the university that you've seen through high school, whether or not they have a quarterback coach. All of these things have already um, manifested themselves. You just need to see the next level. And I think that that risk is, well, we haven't seen him play. That's not necessarily true. We know what his strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are. We know where X player can improve and, Part of that is, do they have a good staff around them that can do that? Historically, has developed players. So that that's one mixture of, I just think they go too late and are too undervalued. It's like, I'm aggressively drafting Dante Moore, Malachi Nelson in the top 15 picks this year. And I, I feel good about that. The other part is, I think we hang on to existing players too much because they're known commodities. Like I see a lot of guys that still get drafted in the top four rounds. I'm like, I'm not really sure I would take them in the top 10 because I don't know what their ceiling is. We just know what they are. And so I'm willing to take the home run shot at the potential of getting nothing because the ceiling is so much higher on some of these players. And, you know, that archetype of player is one. I draft a lot of quarterbacks, like a ton of quarterbacks early, especially if this league leagues are super flex, which almost all of them are. So I'm, I mean, I'm drafting, probably five quarterbacks, six quarterbacks to the first 10 rounds that I find they're a, the most difficult position to move from your campus roster to your Canton roster. It's incredibly difficult. Then you can't get them on the NFL side of your leagues anyway, because they're all already owned. So there's no draft really, unless you get lucky and there's a Trey Lance, but we saw how that worked out. That's the concern. So I'm aggressive with quarterbacks. Um, and I'm aggressive really in general with recruiting services. I put a lot of stock into what they have to say um, and what our recruiting staff has to say about players and where they're ranked. So like I'm taking a lot of five stars who slip through the cracks because some people don't like them. That was Tet McMillan last year. I have a ton of Tet McMillan. He's, he's like a borderline five star. And now he's great. Even though some people were down on him because of athleticism. What is his next level ceiling? I don't know, but he's definitely outperformed his price. So I think there's just value. Yeah. 
I'm I'm fully with you there. I mean, the, like the names you talk about, kind of these the five stars that slip through the cracks and the five stars that don't, the five stars that go early. Like those are when you talk about high ceiling type of players, like that's where you basically have to go and get them, right? Like if you look at who goes from freshman to sophomore year in terms of Debbie rankings, once they play that first year, the players that catapult into the top 12 of Debbie rankings as, as true sophomores, the second year players are, are guys who were super highly thought of recruits and then performed, right? Because it's like the, the baseline expectation was they were good and then they proved that they were good. And yes. so like, there's a lot of safety in then, and then having them at, at like a high regard. Whereas like a guy like, I mean, you want to talk about a guy like Quinchon Judkins last year. Um, he had an incredible freshman year, like a, a really good freshman year. But he wasn't thought of that highly as a recruit, other than by Matt Bruning and some guys at campus to Canton. Shout out <laughs> them. But like generally speaking, he was not a, 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 a highly regarded recruit. And he has really a top 30 back in his class. Yeah, he was a three-star, right? Like, he was a nobody. And then he goes and has, a, like, an incredible freshman year. And he's still not even, like, a locked-in top 12 pick in Debbie because he has to kind of erase the preconceived notion that he's not elite, not highly regarded, and has to uh, – he's fighting against more and more of a of a lower expectation it's something that sean tucker had to do throughout his career and you know what he never really did it at least from a yep. nfl perspective there's health involved there but like it was always something he was fighting against and so like if you're looking for that elite upside of these guys who go to the very tippy top of of classes coming out uh in terms of rookie classes those guys are all guys who were highly thought of recruits. So you have to go and get them there. I guess my follow-up then is you get outside the five stars, the super high four stars. Are you still attacking freshmen? Does it matter which position? Does it matter um, what school? Um, are, are you pivoting away from freshmen as a whole? It sounds like, no, it sounds like you're still going after freshmen. So I guess talk me through your thought process there. So, I'm mostly pivoting after at wide receivers after maybe the top 100. Um, I just don't think there's a lot of value there. And there's a lot of them that are ranked pretty highly, generally speaking. So I, I don't take as many. And if I do, I take them at like the very end of drafts that like, maybe they're still available. Um, a guy that was like, like Tiger, Tiger Bachmeyer this year, I took like the 45th round of a couple drafts. Um, he had a really good analytical profile coming out, but he's like, 30, 30 years old as a true freshman. So that's that's an issue. But again, 45th round. I'm still taking quarterbacks uh, because of how valuable the position is. I'm still like, I mean, we talk about this to death and it's, it's, it will, it, eventually it'll play out. But I was drafting a lot of Lenore Sellers and I was drafting a lot of um, Kenny Minchie, the quarterback of Notre Dame. Like, I, like all of these guys, I was still drafting pretty aggressively. And just saying, well, if they hit, look, look what we got. And I was, I, I don't think that's a bad strategy just because of the value of the position. And the second part is in a lot of these cases, and you, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, there's a lot of value retention. Like these players, even if they don't play and they're highly regarded, they're maintaining value. They're not losing value. Like look at, um, like Drew Lahr was obviously a five-star, but he had like two starts last year, looked pretty good, had a terrible spring game and maintained value. 
It's just there's a lot of safety in drafting a player that doesn't get on the field year one in red shirts because you don't necessarily know what you have in that player. Well, people might not realize what you have in that player. So I think there's a little bit of value there. But yeah, I mean, I'm drafting quarterbacks aggressively. I think running backs in that range have a little bit of value as well. But once we get outside the top, like, 150 or 200, I'm pretty much not drafting. I think I think those are rare, really, really low risk or high risk, depending where you draft them, low upside bets. And I see a lot of people do it too. And I think that's the mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like in a supplemental, you're walking out of a supplemental. Uh 15 rounds, let's say team agnostic here. What what what's your ideal like how many freshmen are you taking through those 15 rounds? And then are you attacking older Debbie kind of Debbie? I don't know, non-freshman Debbie minded players, or are you attacking CFF? Like how's that kind how's that build look like coming out? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Actually. Um, the first round is definitely a Debbie focused player, regardless of how big the first round is. Generally speaking, it's almost always a Debbie focused player. Um, Second round, depending on how deep the class is, it's either a very extremely high upside college fantasy only player or another freshman. Third round is when like I really start to pivot and say, okay, well, unless someone falls to me, I'm probably going college fantasy for the next couple rounds. Round, I think towards round 10 and then afterwards, I'm a little bit more willing to get some guys who slip through the cracks some. It's like a player that I drafted a little bit in, like round 15 was like JJ Colt. He's four star quarterback going to Iowa state. I thought he was good enough to like be drafted, but I'm also draft. That's where I'm also drafting tight ends. Cause I think tight ends have such like, they fall so far in drafts that I'm willing to go after I get four or five CFF guys, go back to see what that Debbie position looks like. And a lot of times it's like very highly regarded tight ends. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Andrew Draplier. I was drafting him a bunch. Um, Pierce Spurlin was there. You know, there was, there was a lot of value. I think late in, drafts at the tight end position specifically. And so that's really how I'm looking at CFF drafts. I'm not drafting a Debbie player who had a big year and is now rising up boards. Generally speaking, those are like false hope players. In my opinion, I I can't think of a good example of one that has worked out. It was like, wasn't drafted in the rookie draft, but maybe I'm just not thinking about, about it the right way. I just, those are cloggers for the most part. Yeah, it's gonna definitely also depend on waiver uh, waiver yeah. rules as well. Um, this is something I talked about last episode a little bit with Austin is like I because I do something very similar to you in the term in the sense of like first couple rounds for me are those are the elite freshmen because that's when you can get those guys that have the high upside, the five stars, the high four stars. Like it's first like two three rounds of that for me, and then for me it's like I don't touch freshmen the rest of the draft. Because, because they're just long shot bets, and something that we'll get we'll get into in a little bit later is like a lot of these freshmen you get no usage out first, and I don't like having a lot of zeros, like guaranteed zeros, on my bench, uh, and so that's a, a, a reason why I avoid the freshmen uh, later on that are the long shots. Um, but like a lot of oh, like. There are like mid to low four star players that break out as true freshmen that then go on to be first round picks in your rookie drafts. It happens every year. And so like for me, I counter not being super freshman heavy by being freshman heavy on waivers. You know, like this past year's wide receiver class, we I, I talked about last episode. 
Jackson Smith and Jigba would have been taken in your rookie drafts. Quinn Johnson, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers were probably not. You go the year before, you know, like Traylon Burks probably was not taken in rookie drafts. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Like George Pickens would have been taken in rookie drafts. Um, Jahan Dotson, maybe not. You know, like there's guys that are like maybe, but maybe not. Like those mid four stars, some people might like them, but there's a good chance that they're available on waivers in some of your leagues. So if you play in a league with no waivers, those guys might be in, in those drafts the following year, but most likely no. Um, so I guess that's a that kind of regurgitating what I talked about last week. But in, in a situation where there are no waivers, you probably want to approach this a little bit differently. Um, yeah, for, for yeah. sure. And I think I, I'm – so I hold – to the theory that college fantasy production is really easily replaceable. Like even off the waivers, I think you could feel the team off the waivers that could win you every single week if open waivers were allowed. Um, which is part of the reason that I'm not drafting CFF guys early, like ever in any format whatsoever. Waivers, no waivers, doesn't matter. I'm not taking them before like the eighth round of a startup and I'm not taking them before round two unless it's depleted of a freshman draft. It just has to be really specific instance for that to happen and that player probably also has to have um you know upside to potentially be an nfl starter as, as well uh but i operate my my waivers a little bit differently in terms of how i i think about it so i agree that that's the best strategy because i think at the end of the year or during the year that there is value that you need to save a spot at the end of year, end of the year four, like one spot I think is really important not to maximize all your waiver claims early, save a spot or two. I, I save multiple because I I'm like, this guy's getting NFL buzz late. I'm going to add him. That was like Luke Musgrave this year. Like he went generally unowned. And so I added him at the end of uh, the season in a lot of leagues, but I, I do think that waiver strategy plays a big part in it and that you got, you got to be, I think targeting, I think you got to be targeting Debbie players more than CFF players and waivers. Like, I think that's the right approach. Yeah. Uh, I I'm with you. I mean, I guess it's, it's difficult in like four waiver claim a year leagues, but generally speaking, I go CFF guys, early dead players late in leagues. Um, like I, my favorite, my favorite waiver system is one claim a week. And for a few weeks, you have some guys that just explode CFF-wise, and those are the guys that I kind of go after. And the freshman and the the Debbie the Debbie minded players don't really emerge until mid to late into the season. Uh, so it kind of it works perfectly with that sort of system. If, if it's a four claim league, um, I, I'll go like I'll spend like two claims early in the year on CFF guys, save two later for Debbie. But I'm I'm very much with you because there is a lot of value, like high upside Debbie value potential off of waivers. Um, uh, let's, let's pivot here to, uh, the topic of, of cutting bait on players, right? Because some of these high upside five-star recruits don't pan out. When do you make that decision to, to move on from these guys? Like, what do you look for to make the decision of, okay, this player is no longer worth rostering on my 45 man roster? A wide receiver who does not really see the field year one is a player that I'm like, incredibly uninterested in. Like I would just consider dropping to, no matter who they are. Last year, that player was Andre Green, the UNC wide receiver who I was I had a lot of. And 
he didn't get on the field and that's a bad, that's just a bad sign. Like we have the year one zero theory. We've talked about it on a whole bunch of different shows. I, we even have a tool on the website for it, but essentially if you're not doing anything year one, it's bad. It doesn't matter how deep the wide receiver room is because you can get in and blowouts. And if you're special enough, you'll get on the field. Pretty much always true. There's like a handful of outliers and most of them are injury related. Uh, like DK Metcalf. That's wide receivers quarterback. I'm a little bit more lenient on basically I see who is the next guy for that staff. Usually it's identified maybe a year out compare how I feel about that player to the incoming player and make that determination. I'm, I'm way more lax on cutting quarterbacks mostly because of just how highly I value quarterbacks. Um, but like Kate and Hauser, for example, last year when they run in Sam Levitt, I was like, eh, not really sure. Hauser is going to be the guy long-term. Um, so those kind of calculations that I, I think about, and sometimes they already know who that guy is. Like Alabama knows, I think that they're, pro- they want Bryce Underwood. Um, and so like, I don't want Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan. Cause I don't think, I don't think either of those are the guy. So I'm pretty confident that I'll cut both of them. Um, running back is usually they get on the field if they're good here one. So I, that's easy to judge performance wise for me. And then like the depth, what the depth chart looks like. Uh, moving forward and usually there that's far more cut cut like very clean um but yeah that's that's kind of how i i think about it from a devy perspective cff perspective though i mean i'm cutting those dudes like they're not performing in the first two weeks they're off my team yeah oh yeah i'm with you i think i think kind of the biggest kind of high level idea of on my end is i want as little zeros on the end of my bench as possible zeros being guys who i know will not perform on a week-to-week basis and are not in consideration for my for my starting lineup for my my campus side week in and week out and so when you draft freshmen you take on this risk of them being zeros. They're very, they're not just this risk. They're very likely to be zeros. How many freshmen have we seen be, be CFF relevant instantly? Like, I, I don't know if we've had a single guy this year. Uh, I guess Deuce Robinson in garbage time, maybe. Um, but I mean, that's, that's something that you, you basically have to sacrifice. And, and I'm of the belief that like, if, if you have 15 freshmen, versus five freshmen. And so you're picking a start lineup from 30 players versus 40 players. Like you're at a distinct disadvantage because matchups matter week in and week out. Buys are, are impactful. Uh, injuries happen. And so this, this roster that seems big, all of a sudden the pool that you're picking from becomes smaller and smaller. Uh, and matchups are so incredibly important. It matters so much more than the NFL side. Um, and so having that big player pool to me is, is, is very, very important. And so I guess freshman wise, that's, that's why I'm kind of stingy there. And then also like cutting bait on guys, I'm willing to do it pretty early on. As you said, I'll give these freshmen the whole first year. It's not showing the usage that can, like if they're not at least showing the signs of, Hey, they're starting to play this upcoming year, the role is going to increase. Um, then I, I, I'm done with them. Like, uh, Someone else might value them or they might just end up on waivers. Um, But this is actually where I think like where we differ pretty significantly is like talking about those, the quarterbacks that that we were talking about, the four-star quarterbacks. Um, A lot of these four-star quarterbacks, I think the future role is less guaranteed. And so like you might be sitting on, 
waiting two years for them to start, um, like waiting an unknown amount of time for them to start. And the upside for me is significantly less because they're not nearly as highly thought of. They're not playing at as strong of a program. And so you're taking on the zero with less return in the end. Um, now, I mean, this it's going to vary on a situational basis, but for me, that's what scares me the most with these quarterbacks. And also, like, I, like some of these guys, like, are really only Debbie-minded in, in the sense of, like, I'm not expecting to draft a quarterback at Michigan State or Oregon State to be a week-in, week-out CFF starter. Like, for me, those are guys that, like, even if they're going to perform in college from a prospect perspective, they're probably not going to be putting up elite stats because of the offensive systems they're in. I'll throw in South Carolina as well, uh, just just out, out of the blue there. Um, but um, – so they really, really need to hit on the Debbie level to to make it worth holding them for that zero uh, for that first year. And so that's where, for me, it, it becomes less and less worth it. As opposed to, like, if you draft a guy who's going to Ohio State, going to Alabama, um, like, even if they don't become incredible Debbie prospects, like, which they probably will, by the way, if they become a starter, even two, three years in, um, it's it's probably worth it because they're going to be putting up great numbers for CFF, and then they probably do become Debbie prospects. I I think we where we disagree, and I know this has been a, probably the biggest disagreement that we have is the upside of a four star quarterback hitting is so massive that I'm willing to wait on them if I have to. First of all, and then second of all, like. I, I'm trying to think of a really good example of this because Lenora Sellers was my guy this year. Um, but I mean, Garrett Nussmeyer, he's, he's going to enter the year. He's going to start his fourth year, but is that a guy worth holding on to? Cause he was quarterback like 20 in his class. So I, it's so, but I really like Garrett Nussmeyer and I really liked him as a recruit and I've held him for that long. And so I'm like, well, I think the upside of keeping him on my roster, even though he's getting me zeros is worth it. And maybe Nussmeier is too um, high of a case because he was kind of competing for the job this year. And maybe that's a little bit unfair. But those type of players, like, I have I have no problem holding on to. Like, if I think that they're good and they're going to get a shot, Preston Stone is another one. Like, he had to sit behind Mordecai for two years. But I still thought Preston Stone was really good. But those are guys, like, outside the top 15 in the court, respective quarterback classes. And so I think the upside that you're looking at is – okay, if this guy starts and I think he's good and he's in a good offense, potentially, then we're seeing a lot of value. It's just, if I don't think a player is good, I'm not going to hold them just because, like, as as a principle. Like, like, I'm trying to, like, I didn't think Ty Thompson was was any good and I cut bait on him pretty quick. But again, another four-star just outside the top 10 of his class. So I'm I'm way more lenient just with up, just because of upside. Yeah, no, I get it. But let me let me hit you with this kind of just this question. You're in a league last year and Preston Stone is available on waivers. Are you spending a waiver on Preston on Preston Stone to pick? You have one waiver a week. Are you spending a waiver to add him to your roster? Oh, yeah. Are you doing a week one or are you waiting until the end of the year? 
I'm probably adding him week one because I think he'll be added by somebody else. But I don't see, I don't mind at all like taking a shot on a guy like Preston Stone, who I liked coming out. And like, I thought he was a good, a good player. I thought he should have been playing over Tanner Mordecai last year. So, like, he's a player that I have a lot of belief in. If he hits, it's, he's going to hit big. And so, yeah, I don't mind taking zeros for the whole season if I have to, because if he gets drafted, in like the first or second round, I think you're feeling really good about that investment. And even though you want to say like, okay, maybe there's like a 10% chance of that happening. The player that I pick up in his stead or roster in his stead, there's so much less upside, generally speaking. It's like, I feel like I can find the production that a player is going to get me elsewhere or far easier than I will from the upside of potential stone. Like I, that, that scales tipped when it comes to that, just because I think how replaceable production is on the college fantasy side, because that's really what you're sacrificing when you come right. into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you, I mean, you talked about Nuss Meyer. I think that's, it's, it's really tough because there's a chance for Debbie upside. There's a chance for CFF upside. If you wait on it. a guy like MJ Morris is someone who I think is in a very similar boat. Um, so are you, are uh, good you offensive. holding MJ Morris? Well, that's, I caught him in spots because it was like, See, I held it. I, I held it. <laughs> it. It hurts because I really like him. I think he's talented. I think once he starts, he's going to put up points. And I think there's an outside shot that he is on an NFL roster. Um, but like, I that the the zero hurts so much. And I think the upside, like, if I'm holding him for CFF points in the future, then I'd rather just get someone who's doing that right now instead of waiting for it to happen. And ultimately i just didn't think the devi upside was was uh high percentage enough so it's tough i mean it hurts like i big fan of mj moore spent some waiver claims on him last year um but no it's that discussion let me ask you this if you think that you know with conviction who the next starter at western kentucky is who the next starter at georgia southern is all these like really good systems are you rostering them before they're the actual the star, before they are like the starter? It's so hard to say yes because I don't think I can, generally speaking, have much conviction in that situation. They're always bringing in transfers. I mean, both schools did it last year. Um, Western Kentucky brought in two, and ultimately, they only needed to have one. Jared Daggy left, but. They're looking for players who can come in and immediately run the scheme who have experience most of the time. It's so hard to identify the next guy there. Like I, I tried that with Western Kentucky or not Western Kentucky. I tried that with Georgia Southern last year, a little bit. Didn't, didn't matter. Davis Brin comes in and he looks great. Just like Calvin trees did the year before. I would like to say yes, but like, I, I just don't know how you can like, those systems that are G five, mostly speaking are like lower end power five that are just system plays. I mean, you're probably not interested in the quarterback as from Debbie perspective, like they're very not loyal to the guys they recruit for the most part. Yeah. And they can pull up from, from like FCS or even D two and an Austin Reed situation. They can pull down from guys who disappoint at the power five level. I mean, they have a very large pool of players to pick from. And also you're at risk of coaches leaving if they do a good job. And if they have a good system, like they are at risk at, at, at taking a step that, up. That's like, there's so much, there's already a lot of risk when you're drafting college fantasy players, period. 
there's infinitely more when you're talking about G5 players. Like year over year expectations really need to like not hold much weight from if you're trying to predict like a lot of positions too. I mean, look at Frank Gore Jr. Like they brought in Rodriguez Clark and now he's not getting the full workload that's like 30 carries a game or like 30 touches a game. Like, did really, anyone really see that coming? I mean, maybe that's that's just an example, but yeah, it's just hard to project. Like I don't roster a lot of um, G5 players trying to predict a breakout. I need to see it happen or know that they're starting. Like that's the only way I'm really rostering those guys. Yeah, 100% with you. I think that's a very important, very important just concept in general is like you don't need to project for CFF because there are so many players that are actually already doing it. So, and also it's really, really hard to project CFF. So, it's so incredibly difficult. I don't think people realize how tough it is to like, that's why I also draft them early. Like there's so much variance in their potential outcome that I, I don't want to be taking shots on them. Like I can find the same production in round 10 of a startup draft that I can in round 30. And I feel really confident in that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to recap CFF guys, the moment they like, after a couple of weeks of them not producing, you're comfortable with cutting bait freshmen, after a year of nothing, you're comfortable with cutting bait. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think not holding on to guys is definitely like, definitely uh, like a, a valuable kind of. Uh, it, it is valuable. I mean, like a guy like Demond Demas was held on to for like three years by rosters, and it's just like, like we knew after at least two, if not one years, that he did absolutely nothing. It wasn't yeah. worth holding on to, and that happens every single year. You have freshmen who just they just don't pan out. It happens. It's really hard for these kids to transition to the college game in some some instances, and um, knowing when to cut bait and being the first to do it is, is valuable because there's also, you don't have to cut, you can trade these guys, right? Like, because they still hold some residual value. As you said, with quarterbacks, these guys have a lot of insulated value where they, it doesn't go away after a year. Um, and, and that holds true for, for other positions to, I would say a lesser extent, but you can still get value for them. Like you can move these guys for other, for other supplemental picks. Um, uh, just to, just to throw an idea out there, you know, you hit, you hit the end of you hit the end of year one and Andre green has done nothing. Offer him for a 10th round pick to everyone in your league. I bet you someone takes the bait. Um, and if you're going to cut him anyway, because freeing up that roster spot and no longer having that zero at the end is, is, uh, is something you want to do. It provides a lot of value. Plus you get a pick back. So, um, so yeah, I, I think as a whole, like, Taking freshmen and knowing which freshmen to take is valuable. Also knowing how to handle them is, is equally valuable uh, on your when roster. To, when to not draft certain players or try to move on from certain players, I think is is un, a very underrated aspect. Because, I mean, I'm looking at the top 60 of Camp Scan ADP right now. Jadon Blue is there. Um, I don't love that. Corey Brooks is there. Like those are players I'm just not drafting heading into the year. Like I don't want to be rostering them, but they're being drafted there because they're safe. We've seen them do something and they're on the field. Like, those are the type of players that I'm trying to avoid, generally speaking. When I when I say I'm taking a freshman in that spot, instead of drafting Corey Brooks, maybe I'm taking a guy like well, this crap a second year player. Maybe I'm taking a guy who transferred up like Malik Benson. 
I don't even know if he's going to start for Alabama, but I, I sure want him over Ja'Cory Brooks because I know what Ja'Cory Brooks is. Just because you know what something is does not make that thing inherently valuable. That like lessens the value of it. I just don't understand the retaining of value for some of these players when we've seen it and we are fairly certain that it's not it. Like it's a safety pick, which is just means low upside in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I, that's something I've talked about a bunch is I think people tend to have rose colored glasses with, with uh C2C and with, with yeah. Debbie projections in general, in terms of like everyone wants the best possible um, like tangible outcome, but you got to look at the odds, the likelihood, and look at past samples to kind of determine how likely it is. And a lot, like once you hit a certain level of like past production players, it's like, well, these guys have kind of showed us what they are already. Like we know what they are. Very, we very likely know that they're not going to be anything at this point based on what they've done on the field. Um, so yeah, I mean that's when that's when taking those higher upside bets is is much more valuable. But all right, any closing thoughts here, Mox? No, this was this is interesting. I mean, I think I think the this is such a hard topic to break down in general because when you look across the whole industry's rankings and our rankings too. I mean, I don't want to say that we don't do this because we do, and I I am guilty of this personally. Like with I, I still have Tyler Van Dyke rank very highly, which maybe that looks kind of good, but um people are not aggressive in moving player off players. And I think that the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes that we've been talking about it, that is something that I think if like anyone who's listening has like one takeaway is try to be more neutral in your evaluation and be more aggressive in moving. Moving on. And I think aggressiveness is just really important in this format in general, because when you hit that, you hit big and that goes back to kind of the whole strategy that I take on freshmen anyway. So aggressiveness on both sides, willing to cut bait quickly and willing to invest early, I think can pay huge dividends. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we'll close it out here. I really appreciate you coming on Mox. We'll, we'll definitely have to do this again. I know that we could go on for a while, just kind of covering all the realms of this other than maybe the NFL side. Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> keep me, keep me out of that one. Um, <laughs> you're talking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, but I, I appreciate you coming on and, um, and yeah, I guess, uh, one other thing I want to note just for the podcast in general, I am trying to put together an intro song. I'm thinking about, uh thinking about taking like a chess clip like where there's like commentators talking over like an an epic chess moment and like the the commentators go crazy i thought that'd be kind of a cool old nerdy twist on uh on on a strategy podcast but i have also been struggling to find a clip of chess commentators going crazy so i guess if there are any uh chess connoisseurs out there that that uh that are available to oh okay Perfect. There we go. I'll send it over to you. All right. Sweet. All right. So maybe that'll even be on the front of this front of this episode. Who knows? But uh, appreciate each and every one of you for listening. Uh, please feel free to to reach out with any feedback or ideas for a few strategy topics or even just uh, any sort of questions. You know, like always happy to field them. Um, but yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Talk to you later.